and senior. I'm on the senior leadership team here. Pastor John's taking a couple of weeks off. I uh, have some family time, some vacation time. And so, um, so we're moving forward. Amen? And, uh, you know, Pastor John just finished a series last week where he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And teaching about the kingdom and how Jesus made it clear that that's how we come into the kingdom and the blessings that are being a part of the kingdom. And one of the blessings of the kingdom is the kingdom anointing. And that's what I'd like to to spend some time talking about today. Because I think, you know, when we... um, when we uh, speak about anointing and the anointing, I think there's, there are many misconceptions out there. Um, you know, I think a lot of times we think about, you know, we see somebody being prayed over and maybe they, they get knocked down on, on the ground under the power of the Spirit. Or um, uh, maybe they, somebody just gets overwhelmed with laughter. Or we think about the things that went on at the Toronto Blessing and we think that's anointing. And those are all parts of it. But it's much, much more than that. And we think sometimes we think about the different ministries that we've read about or seen. You know, we think about the Smith Wigglesworth uh, ministry or uh, William Brannan or, or t- today, you know, the uh, Heidi Bakers or even people that come and visit us like Alan Vincent and, and others, uh, Dennis McNeely, others who have come to visit us. And we think, you know, that's the anointing. And that's, you know, that's a part of it. But it's, it is so much more than that. Um, you know, one time I thought it was really all based on the gifts of the Spirit, the moving of the gifts of the Spirit. And I've come to know that, that that's really only a piece of it. And, and when we look at the Bible, the thing I really like about the Lord, what He does in the Word, is He'll take a topic like anointing, and He'll start in the very beginning in, in Genesis and the very beginning book, and he'll carry it all the way through Revelation. And he he continues to just give us a deeper understanding as he goes through it. It's kind of like putting a puzzle together. And we'll learn learn about this piece and that piece. And the more we put all those pieces together, we really start to see the overall picture of what it is. And that's what I'd like to look at today is is what he's he's done with us as he he teaches us on the anointing. Um, We want to look at what the anointing is. Then we want to look at uh, the anointing that Jesus walked in. And then we want to look at the Lord's plan for each of us. The Lord's plan for each of you and that anointing. So that's where we're going to go today. And as we start off, um, the, the, one of the first applications for the anointing actually took place in Exodus. And it's when the Egyptians were getting ready to attack and, and, and destroy the Israelites. It's actually the time when Passover was created. And so Moses uh, got direction from the Lord, and he came to the Israelites, and he said, okay, I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice that lamb, and then I want you to take a hyssop bush and dip it in that blood, and I want you to paint the, the doorpost, the lentils and the side posts of the door. And the word anointing there actually meant to smear on or paint that's, that's one of the meanings of the word anointing. And as, um, you know, you look at that and, and as what came from that is they really, as, as they did that, they made the sign of the cross. They created through the blood of that sacrificed lamb their safety and their protection as they walked through that door. And, you know, the symbolism of that that starts to teach us about the coming Christ 
right? I mean, Jesus said, I am the door. And so they were putting together there the picture of Passover, which was to point to Jesus Christ. It was way down line. But to show that this is the part of the anointing, this protection. And so as, as they put that together and, and anointed it with the, the, the blood of Jesus and that perfect sacrifice that he brought, it helps to un- help us to understand a part of the anointing. It's that protection, that sacrifice that paid for our price, that paid for our eternity. Now, a- a- another picture I love, and you know, um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that, that um, we're shown signs in the natural that then point to the spiritual. And this is another, another one of those pieces of the puzzle. But the shepherds, it was very, very common for the shepherds, uh, as they're protecting their sheep, they had to deal with a problem that would happen throughout the year where there were all of these insects and bugs and lice that would attack the sheep. And they'd get in their eyes and their ears and their nose. And they, you know, it would really cause big problems. They'd start to get sick. Their ears would get infected. They couldn't hear the shepherd's voice. So you know what the shepherd would do? Mixed up a concoction of oil and water and some other herbs, and he would anoint the sheep, their head. He would just paint their head, anoint it with that oil to protect them, protecting them from the disease and the insects and all of the things that the... And so you think about it. Now all of a sudden, if the sheep can't hear the shepherd's voice, how are they going to know to run when there's a wolf coming, right? But we're told that, that, uh, that when we can hear the shepherd's voice, that's where our protection and our guidance and our direction will come. So that's another great picture of what anointing, what the anointing is. So this whole idea of bringing, really just painting ourselves and smearing God all over us, that's what the anointing is. It's, um, it's really, the anointing of God is really God coming on to flesh and doing only those things that he can do. He wants to come on you and do only the things that he can do in your life. Isn't that neat? So, you know, I think of it, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the things that comes to mind when I, when I think about this is I love to barbecue. Right? Anybody here like to barbecue? Okay. And one of the things that you do when you're wanting to barbecue is you want to marinate, right? You want to marinate the, the tri-tip or marinate the chicken. So you take it and you mix up some oil or different elements and some, get some rubs and you rub them in, you smear them all over and you marinate it. That's what this anointing is. It tenderizes. It, add, it infuses fragrance and flavor into that meat as you marinate it. And that's what we're supposed to do. As we get in, into the presence of the Lord, as we, as we focus and we put ourselves into a place, coming into that place of stillness that we were just thinking about, we sing about that. We come into that place of stillness before the Lord so that we can allow him to just start to rub and pour himself into us and smear us with his goodness. That's what the anointing is. And as we allow him to do that, that's how he's going to start to be able to, we're going to start to hear his voice more clearly. He's going to, we're going to start to hear his heart more clearly to be able to walk in the things he's calling us to. Amen? So, now let's look, let's look a little bit at, at um, 
Jesus' anointing and, and what took place. Because in the, uh, when you look at what, um, what, what took place when Jesus came on the scene, it was really a, an amazing, I mean, we all know it was an amazing, significant thing. But when you look at it in, in the history of the rest of the Old Testament, See, in the Old Testament, there were really three primary times that, that they did anointings, right? They, uh, and, and, I, and I don't want, have time to go into the, the scripture or the verses on it, but I'm going to point to several circumstances. One, Mo- Moses anointed Aaron as priest. So one of the anointings was priest. And, and, and that whole anointing for priest was to really set him apart as one who's walking in purity and holiness. And he's really set apart to do the, the work of the priest and to intercede for, the, for the, the people, for the congregation, right? The anointing of the priest. The second one is uh, the anointing of the king. You know, one example, and there's a lot of these, but Samuel came and anointed David as king, didn't he? And so right there in front of his brothers and, and everybody else, he anointed him. And, and what took place was the first thing it did was it totally changed his life. It gave him an authority that he had never had before. Now he had an authority to rule. And it gave him an authority to, of, of power over those people in his, in his midst. And it also tells us, the Bible also tells us that the Spirit came upon him. So that anointing for king was a significant one. And then the third one that we, we uh, read about is for the anointing of the prophet. And we know that Elijah anointed Elijah. Right? You remember that? So Elijah said, please, I want your mantle. And so Elijah came and anointed him. And as he did that, he transferred the call that was on his life, the power and the miracles that he was walking in as a prophet, and he transferred that into Elijah. Now, the thing that's so amazing when you think about it is when Jesus Christ came, he was anointed prophet, priest, and king. God chose one man to take all three of these anointings that he had used to lead his church, lead Israel in his church over the years, over the decades, and he chose to bring those and bring them into one man as prophet, priest, and king. And the thing that's amazing about this is it really was a setup to change eternity for all of us. Because, see, if we go back and if, if we had the time to go back and look at it, Adam was walking in those same three anointings. You realize that? He was walking in those anointings, but then he chose to hand those over to the enemy and gave them away. And so from that point forward, we started seeing the destruction of all that God had created. It just started, the enemy started unraveling it. But now Jesus steps up under these three anointings and takes it all back. Right? So now he takes it all back, takes that authority back, and really begins to restore the godly order of the universe. And from that point forward, we're seeing that godly order restored. And that's what we were, uh, we've been teaching on, and John was teaching on when he was talking about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God coming to us is a big part of that restoration. Now, we look at it, and the priest is the one who is the mediator between God and man, right? He's the bridge. He's the one that offers the sacrifice so that the people can be set free. And who did that better than Jesus? Jesus paid the, the perfect sacrifice. 
And the king is uh, the person that comes to rule in authority. In fact, in Israel, when they, they, they really weren't a nation until they were given a king. Then they became a nation. And so they were ruling in that authority. And so it's one who helps those within the kingdom reach their potential. So the kingdom's here to help everybody reach their potential. And then the third area is the prophet. And he's the, the one who teaches the way. The prophet's the messenger that's sent by God with God's message for us and really calls people to conversion and conviction so that they can start to move in and walk with God. So we can see how Jesus was doing all of those, can't we? And that's what's, that's what's so neat. As we open up, let's open to uh, Luke 4.18. And this is a, um, a very well-known scripture. It's where Jesus announced who he was. And, you know, he's reading, he's, he's, when, he, when he walked into the temple, he said he opened up the book of Isaiah 61 and started reading Isaiah 61. And um, when he went to read it, let's just look here in uh, Luke 4.18, he read parts of Isaiah 61. He didn't read all of it. And that's an interesting study in itself. But here in Luke, uh, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the good news, the prophet. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the, of the sight of the blind, the priest, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the king. So right there, he selected those parts of Isaiah 61 that really pointed to himself as prophet, priest, and king. And he said, here I am. And it, it, raised, um, it raised quite an uproar. But, um, but what it did was it also started his ministry. And he used that to start his ministry and to, and to move forward with, it, uh, with that. And you know, one, one of the things that he tells us is, if you, if you look um, in, in um, let's just back up here in, before that verse in Luke 4, where are we? 4.14. So, after he was saved and filled with the Spirit, he went out to the desert. And he walked, walked through the desert. We'll talk about that in a minute. He walked through the temptations in the desert. But here it says, he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and through, and the news about him spread quickly throughout the country. He began to teach. He started moving in deliverance. So he came back in the power because of that anointing that he received. And we see that um, it's really interesting when you think about it, that Jesus set up the plan for us that we would be born again of the water, and then born again of the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit. And he set that up as the primary foundation for us to come into relationship with him so that he could then move us forward in our discipleship with him. Now, why did he do that? Let's look in uh, Acts 1-4. And this is also just kind of preparation here for why Jesus did what he did with the anointing. But in Acts 1-4... He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father, the gift my father promised, which you have heard 
me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this was obviously the same thing that happened to him, wasn't it? He was baptized in the water, and then we saw, we're told in John, the Spirit came down in the, in the sign of a dove and landed on him for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's when he then went out into the desert. Now, why, you know, if, if Jesus needed to walk through that type of a process for anointing, so do we. So this shows that one of the things is the baptism of the Spirit is a key component of the anointing. But it, again, it's only one key part of it. But through that, <clears throat> if Jesus couldn't live without that anointing, obviously we can't. And through that, the Holy Spirit restores what the enemy destroys. That's the whole purpose for this anointing that, the, that Jesus is setting us up to walk in with him. And that's what we're going to look at next, that it is something for all of us to walk in with him. And the whole reason for that is, is part of taking back the enemy's territory, taking back what the enemy got in the Garden of Eden, restoring those things that have been destroyed. And it's in his divine presence. See, the whole thing is, we can't do it in our own strength, right? I mean, if, 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 I, if, if what I have in me is what it's going to take to get out there and get it done, it's not going to get done. It's got to be by the Spirit of God. In His divine holy presence, the breath of the Spirit is out fixing what the devil has perverted and destroyed. The fire of God. That's what, one of the things that we, we, we tie into and, and an illustration that God's given us throughout the Bible about this anointing, which is power, is the fire of God. Think about it. When did, when did Jesus meet the Lord? He walked up to a fire in a bush. How did, how did the Lord lead them out <clears throat> in the desert? There was a pillar of fire that was leading them. Here in Acts, we could read on and we see that tongues of fire come down on them. Fire of God. And the enemy wants to put out that fire. But God wants us to spread the fire. He wants us to be those that are spreading the fire. And so the first step I would say is, is that we all, need to, we all need to come to an understanding of, is the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to talk on that, teach on that today. But I'll tell you what, um, we, we do have time today to take care of it. And if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues, we can take care of that after the service and we'll have a chance to do that. Because the Lord wants that for every one of you. Now, how many of you believe that you're anointed? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good. see a lot of hands. I also see some hands that didn't go up. What we're going to look at now is the fact that Jesus taught that we are all called to walk in his anointing. We all have been anointed. Um. I was reading a book by R.T. Kendall. Do you know who he is? He's a, a pretty famous uh, theologian. He's written over 60 books. He was a, uh, he was a pastor at uh, Westminster Chapel in England for years. And uh, just really well known as a theologian, a theologian. And one of the things, I love this quote that he said, Next to the gift of salvation and the sure knowledge that we will go to heaven when we die, the anointing is our most precious gift. See, the, 
he, what he's, in, what he's uh, focused in on here is the whole reason that God, God set up the anointing to take back what was lost. And we're a big part of that because we are his hands and feet on this earth. So we cannot take back what was lost. We cannot restore what was destroyed unless we're walking that anointing. And that's why I want to look in 1 John. If you'd open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Because this is where, as we're looking at Jesus' anointing, we look at what we have been told. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing. Not you're going to get it. You already have it. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have said, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life, you have an anointing. And all of you know the truth. I am writing these things about you to those who are trying to lead you astray. Now, he was, he was speaking to them here because there were those that were trying to come and pervert the faith and pervert the teachings. And he's saying, no, you already know the truth. As for the anointing you have received from him remains in you. So the anointing comes and it stays with you. You don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it's taught you to remain in him. So, so here we see that we all have been anointed. So now let me see you raise your hands. How many of you are anointed? Let me see you raise your hands. Okay, that's better. We're seeing more hands go up. Now let's look at what that means. Walking in the anointing, he's talking to us, it remains in us. And it's speaking to each one of us. Because first of all, he teaches us with his anointing truth. And it's the truth that sets us free, right? We know that the enemy's the father of all lies. But this anointing is bringing us back to the truth. And I'll tell you what. In today's world, and I don't know where we're at in the end times, but you see these signs. There's definitely stuff going on. And I don't know what that means on a timeline. But we need to know the truth today. We have so many different people out there saying stuff and doing stuff that's perverting the truth. And if we don't know the truth, how are we going to talk to those around us and help them understand the truth? You know, I mean, there are so many people that are just getting more and more confused by what they hear on the news and what they, you know, what they see on TV and all the stuff that's going on. Because it's, it seems like it's starting to turn into what was right is now wrong and what was wrong is now right. And that's starting to happen. But if we know the truth, and if we're grounded in the truth, we can discern that and we can help those around us discern it. And if we're here to help bring restoration, who are we here to restore? We're here to restore all of those around us. Right? So that whole thing of understanding, and he's our teacher, is a, is a uh, critical component. Also says that he protects us from going astray. This is back to that whole point of hearing his voice. We've been anointed. Our ears have been anointed so we can hear his voice. We don't have to worry that we're going to, you know, the, the, the sheep will know the shepherd's voice. Because it's because of this anointing that we, know, we can know his voice. And as we do that, then we're able to help 
um, help, again, help all of those around us and to help protect ourselves. Because, you know, the Bible makes it really clear in Psalms. It talks about that each of us is like sheep. Jesus called us sheep that have turned to his own way. It's so easy for us to get off the track. Am I the only one that has a trouble with this? It's very easy to all of a sudden I find myself, you know, all of a sudden I just start moving in this direction and I realize, wow, I've really gotten off the track. But because I have ears to hear and because he is the shepherd and wants to bring us back, he will return us. So he will protect us and help us return to the right way and not our own way. Remain in him. This is this is amazing. If we remain in him, this is that whole idea of, again, just like we were singing, quieting ourselves, settling ourselves, allowing him to minister to us. Remain in him. And through that, the strength and the courage and the things that come, we couldn't do on our own. I've... Um, I've just, I've been, I just finished, I finished reading the book that uh, Stephanie Demink has been promoting, and I highly recommend it, Killing Jesus. Killing Christians. Killing Christians. Uh, yeah. No, I'm not, public, I'm not uh, promoting Bill O'Reilly's books. Um, Killing Christians. Amazing book. It's all talking about all the persecuted church. I mean, it's really, it's like today's Fox's Book of Martyrs. But it's so relevant. I mean, you're reading this book, and it's everything I'm seeing on the news. And I was really hit by one of the stories. There were um, there were four four Muslims that got converted. A guy from the U.S. that was a Muslim that got converted went over there and converted four Muslims. They became believers. So each one of them went to live in a different camp. They're living in refugee camps in the in the Gaza Strip. They went to four different camps so that they could start their ministries in those camps. And so they're, um, they're sharing the gospel, and, you know, the stories are amazing. And it, it, every person, I think every person that became a believer in that book had dreams about Jesus before they were a believer. Every one of them. Some of them had eight or ten dreams. And, and then people would come and talk to them, or they'd see an ad in the newspaper and call a number, and they'd get saved. So these four are ministering, and all of a sudden, one a week went by, and the three of them didn't hear from the fourth because they were always in touch. So they, they got really worried. Okay, what's happened to him? They started praying and fasting for their partner, the fourth one, because they didn't know what had happened. Finally, he called them after he'd been missing, and he, uh, he said um, he was on the phone, and they could tell his voice was really weak. They were glad he was alive. Uh, because they've seen so many of the other their Christian friends killed. And so he says, oh, he says, it's, it's been bad. They beat me with two-by-fours. They burned me with lighters. They whipped me. Sounds kind of like Paul, doesn't it? Because they wanted me to give them your names. I wouldn't do it. I didn't give in to them because Jesus sustained me this is the remaining in him then he said so here's this guy that was whipped and burned and beaten 
He said, let's get together because I believe God has given me a plan to take Gaza for Jesus. And then, uh, so he wanted to meet and one month later, one of the others of those four was killed. But here's this group of guys that are there in the Gaza Strip ministering to Jews and Palestinians into the, you know, under the persecution. And there's no way that they could be doing that without the anointing. You couldn't do it in your own strength. I don't care who you are. And he said that, Jesus sustained me. That was the anointing. The anointing allows us um, to walk as a prophet. You know, we can speak the truth in love to others, uh, calling them to repent, sharing the good news of the gospel, uh, telling them about the love of Jesus. So the anointing allows us. You know, I've, I've, heard many, I've heard many of us say, you know, I'm not an evangelist. That's not my gift. The anointing makes you an evangelist. The anointing gives you the gift. Uh, are you exercising your priestly role? That's praying for others. You know, praying for healing and brokenness and their families and ministering to them. We've been called to be a royal priesthood. Amen? So here we can walk in this priesthood calling. Praying for deliverance, seeing captives set free, being an encourager. There's an individual that I know here locally, hoping to get him to come and and share at the at the pulpit one of these days, but amazing story. He's from Egyptian. He's a, he, he left Egypt as a believer years ago, a lot of years ago. And um, this happened <clears throat> twenty some years ago. He was away from the house one day, and he got a call. <clears throat> and his wife called his little one year old baby had fallen in the swimming pool. She he needed to rush home, so he rushed home. Took him 45 minutes to get home. He got home. He was he met by the uh, the EMT, uh, the ambulance team. His little baby had drowned. Been dead for 45 minutes. Was in a body bag. He said, "I want to see my son." He said, "Sir, we need to take him down to the medical examiner's office now, and you can see him later." He goes, "No, I need to see my son. I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I want to pray for my son." He went over, and um, baby had been dead for 45 minutes. He unzipped the body bag and prayed for him. And all of a sudden, that baby started crying and coughing up water. Now, the ambulance guys are saying, uh, <clears throat> it's been 45 minutes. We've got to rush him to the hospital. There's not much hope. His brain hasn't had oxygen for 45 minutes. Now, really? The Lord just raises this little guy up from the dead. He can't take care of that. That young man is now 20 years old, perfect health, in his 20s, perfect health. God doesn't start a work that he doesn't complete it. See, that's the priestly role. We can walk in that priestly role. The king. We can reign with the king. This whole thing of reigning with the king... That starts in our own body. We have to reign in our own bodies. We have to fight the flesh. I may be the only one here that's fighting the flesh. Am I the only one? Thank you. I need it. 
we got to fight the flesh so that we can reach our potential. The king helps the people in the kingdom reach their potentials. Once we have the power to keep his word, we can, we can then go into the, be the warrior that the king's calling us to be. We can be warriors, and I know we got a bunch of warriors here. We see the warriors coming together on Wednesday nights, intercessory prayer. We'd love to have more of you come and join us. Even if you don't consider yourself a warrior, that's the place to learn how to be a warrior. So we can enter into warfare where we can really be world changers. You know, one of the things on our website is that we are world changers one person at a time. We can be world changers as we're ruling and reigning with the king. Because that's how we're able to help other people reach their potential. Amen? You know, we, um, we had a teaching up at the men's camp. Um, you know, there's a, in Isaiah we're told that the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Remember that teaching? The yoke shall be destroyed by the anointing. Now, uh, you know what a yoke is, right? That big, heavy, heavy thing they put over a, a, a bull or a, a cow's neck and they clamp it on them and so that they can pull a cart. And when they take it off, it leaves a big mark on them. You can, you can see this like if you, even with a horse. You take the, the saddle's kind of a yoke to a horse. You take the saddle off the horse and you can see where the saddle was, right? It leaves a big mark. The yoke shall destroy, shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And, and, and Dennis taught here that that word really means to obliterate. Obliterate to the point where there is no evidence that the yoke ever existed. Now think about that. So we can be, as uh, with, with the anointing, we can step in and pray for people and partner with people to destroy the yoke over their life to the point that they can walk forward and you can never see that they ever had been under that yoke before. That's amazing. That, I mean, you start to think about that. That's what being a new creation in Christ is. And, 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 and because we can see how, I can see, you know, I mean, you think about it. You think about a yoke of drugs. Think about the yoke of drugs and what that can do to a person's life. Um, I'm sure you've seen people that have been under the yoke of drugs for decades. And, you know, now you look at them and, I mean, you can just, you, you don't even have to, you walk up to them and you can tell, right? I mean, they're just fried. But the good news is, that there are also people that were doing the drugs with that person at the same time. Only someone stepped in with the anointing and started sharing the love of Jesus with them and helped them break the bondage of that yoke. And we've seen a number of people broken from the bondage of drugs, hard drugs. And then that person moves forward. And, you know, at first you can tell that they've been on drugs. And then a few more years go by and a few more years. And if they're, if they're staying in the word and if they're walking the path and if they're pressing into the kingdom and now they're walking in the anointing, it's not long. And you can't tell they had ever been on drugs. The yoke is gone. It was obliterated. That's what the anointing does. 
The whole thing. See, everywhere you go, you're bringing the anointing with you. I like the way Bill Johnson, we always laugh. Bill Johnson always talks about he walked in someplace and he leaked. He says, I leaked on him. And what he's talking about is the anointing leaked out of him. And he, he's walked into a place and somebody has fallen under the power of God. And he, he tells some stories like that. The, everywhere you go, the anointing's with you. And that anointing is the divine enablement to accomplish God's purposes on earth. That's God's power. Doing its work on earth. Amen? So, you know, as I said, it's much, much more than I ever thought it was years ago. As I really start to understand and see the bigger pit, uh, puzzle, the bigger picture, as all the pieces of the puzzle are put in it. But that's how we're able to be kingdom people now. It's not like we can do it just because all, one day we wake up and say, I believe in Jesus, so now I'm a kingdom guy. It doesn't work that way. But it's because God's smeared all over us. And as we spend more time marinating in him, being still in his presence, then that transformation just continues to take place. We are to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, uh, I'd like to just quickly go through here, because I didn't want to just leave it at that, and some things that we can do to walk in the anointing. To continue walking in the anointing. So I'm going to go, go through this very quickly, but... The first one is, don't quench the Spirit. We're told in 1 Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit. You know what the primary definition of quench is? To put out a fire. Can't get any clearer than that. Don't put out the power of God. Don't quench the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? I think the bottom line is it comes back to faith. We have to be people that there's nothing impossible with God. I don't care if the baby is zipped up in a body bag. It's not too big for my God. We have to be people of faith that are walking in the faith. And as we're doing that, we're going to be walking in the anointing. Amen? <clears throat> Can't do that if, we're, if we've got a victim spirit. Poor me. Oh, poor me. Look at my circumstances. Do you see how bad my circumstances are? How can we have faith and be ruling and reigning if we're sitting back here complaining about our circumstances? I didn't hear those in those stories I was reading in Killing Christians. I didn't hear people complaining about their circumstances. He gets back from his beating, his two-by-four beating, and he says, I got a new plan. <laughs> How we can get more people to know Jesus. Oh, my. Can't be a victim. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. This is out of Ephesians. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's really talking about distressing or making the Holy Spirit sorrowful, right? And then in, in Ephesians, it goes through a long list. The bottom line is, stop sinning. That's the bottom line. Don't live like the pagans. You know what? If you're a Christian and they're a pagan, I should be able to look at you and tell the difference. That's what they're saying. He's saying in Ephesians, um, you know, stop lying. Don't be angry. Stealing, cursing, bitterness, unforgiveness, sexually immor immorality. To grieve the Holy Spirit is to act out sinfully. That's a holiness message. 
But we can't, we can't, we say, wow, look how that person's moving the anointing. Why am I not walking in the anointing like that? Well, let's go back and look at our lives. Are there some things here on the checklist I need to go through? Because the king wants us to reach our potential. Amen? Come on now, we're almost done. Are you, are you with me here okay? Are we all right? Okay, walk in forgiveness. Oh, man. This is tough. This is one of my hard ones. Walk in forgiveness. You know, it seems so unnatural, doesn't it? Somebody does something to you, to me, and it just seems so unnatural for me to say, you know, I'm sorry you did that. I'm sorry you did that to me. I'm sorry. I want to restore our relationship. But this whole thing of unity and the unity of the body of Christ is so important. You know, I know people say, oh, I can't forgive them because it makes me feel like I'm a doormat or whatever. I'll be in counseling. I'll be talking to somebody in counseling. I say, you know, you really need to forgive that person. But they did this and this and this. I say, you know what? But you're the one that's living with it. You're the one that's got the bondage of it because you're living with it. If you forgive them and set it free, then you're going to be free. Let them deal with it. There are... Um, I don't know, there's over 20-some verses that talk about the unity of the brethren. You know how pleasant it is to live in unity. How um, There's one body, many members. Um, you're all one in Christ. So we've got all these verses about how we're supposed to live together. Have you ever, you know, you've gotten... Um, I mean, the whole thing of unforgiveness can really separate you from God, right? I mean... Kathy and I have been married 43 years. <laughs> and uh, it's much better today than it was. The, we don't fight as much today as we used to. We used to have some pretty good fights. We still do once in a while. But, um, and, but like somebody said, we don't have as many fights because now I just say, yes, ma'am. I know she's always right anyway. And we have less fights. Um, I'm learning. Only took me 42 years. Um, but I, you know, well, I, I, I think back at times we've had a fight and then I go up, you know, later on. So we're walking in the house where we don't talk to each other. Anybody else ever been there? Just kind of pretend like the other person's not there. Maybe you grunt and groan a little bit. So then I say, I'm going to go up and be with the Lord. So I go up and get into my prayer closet. Impossible. I'm just going to get in the Word and let the Lord bring healing back. Doesn't happen. Cannot. I mean, it's like God. Where did you go? We got to go make it right. We make it right, and then we can get back on what we're supposed to be doing. So this whole thing of unforgiveness is huge. Um, seek God and seek a fresh anointing daily. Jesus was our example, wasn't he? he? Think about it. When he went out, he, got, he was anointed. Then he went out to the desert for 40 days, right? How much of that time did he spend being tempted by the devil? Not much. A little bit. The rest of that 40 days, I'm going to call it, I don't know what it is. I'm going to call it 39. I'm going to say the devil got to him and did it all in one day. 39 days he was out there being in the Lord's presence. Marinating. Seeking God. Chasing after God like we were singing about earlier today. 
And then the anointing's the same way, seeking the anointing as well. Because I, 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 I picture the anointing like it's a reservoir. And so if I'm giving it out, I need to go back and get some fresh anointing so I have more to give out. Otherwise, I'm just giving Gary out. Nobody wants Gary. Trust me. <laughs> or if I'm not giving it out, it's getting stale. It's Dead Sea. Stale, stagnant, smelly. Get back in and get it fresh. So I've got something good to hand out. Right? So seek God in the anointing daily. Just get in his presence. Get in his word. Pray. Let him speak to you. The last one is uh, balance. We need both the spirit and the word. On the leadership team, we have spent a lot of time talking about this, haven't we, Mark? The importance of balance of both the Word and the power of the Spirit. You can find a lot of examples out there that are heavy on one and not the other. And it's not a balance. Um, You know, if those that get really heavy in the Spirit, not grounded in the Word, can get hyper-spiritual... Um, you know, seeking signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are going to be there. They're there. I mean, that's part of the anointing. But they're seeking signs and wonders, and they have a limited knowledge of the Word. We need that Word as a constant plumb line. So whatever we're doing, as we're out doing our other stuff, we've got the Word the word bringing us back online, the plumb line. Then we've got the other side, heavy on the Word, to the point of almost worshiping the Word. Am I putting you to sleep? <laughs> um, heavy on the Word, but there's no power. Not relying on the Spirit. And so you know what then happens is you start to rely on yourself. Well, I memorized more of the Word. I can quote the chapter and verse, but it's me, me, me. And um, the Spirit's not a part of it. Relying on our own strength, start to be ju- become uh, judgmental or critical. That's one common thing. See, I'm doing this in the Word. What are you doing? So it's out of balance. Paul said our gospel came in Word and power. It was a balance of the Word and the power. And as we do that, as we continue to do that, we are going to be aligned with God. And as we're aligned with God, his anointing is going to flow. And the anointing, the increase is going to flow. And we're going to see more and more. And that's my prayer today. I just pray that for all of us, we can really get into a place where we can see more and more of the anointing flowing through us. Amen? Amen. So what I'd like to do is, um, I'd like to, uh, as we close here, do a couple things. First of all, Jesus made it really clear. The Lord made it really clear in uh, that first, uh, on the first passages I shared, that there was one way to get protected, and that was to enter into the door that had been smeared with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way to enter into the door. He, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door." And if you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, that's the starting point. 
and I just I just don't want to just don't want to go on without giving you an opportunity to do that. So I'd like everyone to bow their heads. Lord, I just pray right now that if there's any here who have not made that commitment or they want to recommit themselves to you, that they would be open to your spirit speaking to them right now. If there's any one of you here in that position, just raise your hand and just show me. Anyone? You start by going through the door. Coming to the, to the one who, who brings the anointing. Anyone? Okay, I don't see any hands. All right, now what I would like to do, I, I would like to uh, see if there's anyone here that this message just really resonated with and you want more of God's anointing in your life, just raise your hand. Anyone wants more anointing? Okay, we have, we have hands all over. I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. Um, as uh, Josh is going to start to minister here. You know, this, this really doesn't come from uh, a prayer team laying hands on you. This comes from you being with the Lord. He's the one that anoints you. But I think that there's a real... I think there's a statement made when you stand up and you walk down to the altar. I think it's a way of saying, God, I'm serious about this. It's one thing for me to just raise my hand. It's another thing to say, I'm really serious. I'm going to walk down. I want more of your anointing. And if that's you, we want to pray over you. And so what we want to do is I want anyone that really wants more of God's anointing to just get up out of your seats and come down and, and, and come before the Lord here at the altar. And we want to pray over you. Come forward. Anybody that wants more of God's anointing. A lot of hands went up. My hand is up. See, this whole thing of seeking God and seeking His anointing, we, you know, it's not a, it's not a one-time thing. It really, I think it's something we need to be doing daily. But this is, a, this is a major step. So just come on forward. Mark, you want to come down and let's, why don't we, we'll pray, we'll pray a prayer over everyone and then we can just go, we can go down and lay hands on people. Mark and, uh, you want to come down?